Well, if you've been around this ministry for, I don't remember how long it was ago, maybe a year, maybe a little bit over a year, um, you've heard me preach this passage before, but I didn't just grab the same notes and just bring them back and, uh, and decide I would preach them again. Um, fresh set of notes, fresh set of eyes on the passage, same truth, which is God's word, right? Um, and Paul wrote to the Philippians when he said, you know, I'm going to tell you to rejoice. He said, I'll, I'll tell you again, I, hey, you need to rejoice. And he said, in fact, I'll, I'll tell you again, you need to rejoice. And he said, to write the same things to you that I'm writing in the book of Philippians, even though I've written these things to you before, is no trouble for me. And he said, and it's a safeguard for you. And so if you've heard uh, a message on biblical leadership and how our, we should respond to biblical leadership before, man, praise God. And if you're sitting here and you're going, I've, I've heard this passage preached, praise God that you've heard this passage preached. Uh, but as we come to it again tonight, I just pray that we would do so uh, ready to be taught by the Lord. It was encouraging to me as I was studying the passage this week, getting ready for tonight, uh, just being reminded of, of godly leaders in my life. And there's a passage, there's a, a verse that I so very much love and just appreciate every time I come across it. And it's actually in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. When the Apostle Paul is taking, talking about the makeup of the local church, he's saying there's all kinds of people in the local church, right? There's all kinds of giftedness in the local church that, that God brings people from all kinds of different backgrounds to the church, and we all have a role to play. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, 18, he says this, but as it is, God arranged, okay? God chose, God put together, God built God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. So that means if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you are a, a vital part of a, a local church, which should be true of every believer in Jesus Christ, you're there not by accident, but you are in that local church because God arranged that local church with you as a part of it. That God in his sovereign plan put you in that church to be a part of that church, to use your giftedness in that local church. And here's the spin I want to put on that for us tonight. Not only is that true of the body, that's also true of the leaders in your local church. That's true of the leaders in this ministry here. That's true of the ministry directors that we have in this church. That's true of the pastors and shepherds that we have in this church. They're not here by accident, but they're here because God has arranged each one of the members of the body of Christ, including the leadership he says, as he chose, as he saw fit. And so with that in mind, that frame, that mindset that, that God is behind our leaders, that God is behind which small group that you are in, that God is behind the pastors that shepherd you. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 13 and pick up in verse 7. Two verses tonight, huge gap between the two. So it's not 7 through 17. No, it's, it's verse 7 and then verse 17. And the reason is because both of them are dealing with the subject of leadership. Verse 7, the writer says this, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's verse 8. So there you go. You get a free verse just, just for showing up. But remember your leaders. Those who spoke the word of God to you, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And then over in verse 17, which we'll get to, he's talking about how we should obey our leaders. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Remember your leaders. The word for remember in the Greek, there's the word that, that we get the word mnemonic from. If you've ever used a mnemonic device, right, to help you what? Remember something. It's a, a way of, of memorizing a, a list or memorizing names. You can use mnemonic devices. We get that from this same Greek word. It means to not just to remember like, oh, yeah, that was cool, and then move on, but to remember them and then to respond to that memory that you thinking about these people should prompt you to want to do something. And we'll get to that in a, 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 just a, a little bit here. But initially, we're just remembering who are leaders. The word remember, the same word shows up in passages like in Matthew chapter 16, verse 9, when Jesus goes across the sea with the disciples after feeding the 5,000, and he points out to the fact that they don't have any bread. And the disciples are going, oh man, he's upset because we don't have any bread. And Jesus says in verse 9, do you not yet perceive, do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? 
Jesus is calling on them to remember the miracle that he had just performed. Not just so they remember and think back on it and go, oh yeah, that was pretty cool. But so that they remember it and then that they would do something with it. That their faith, that their confidence in Jesus would be bolstered because they're remembering, they're recalling that. Or Luke 17, 32. There Jesus encourages and exhorts us to remember Lot's wife. You guys remember the story of Lot, right? Fleeing from Sodom and Gomorrah. And as they were on their way out of town, the angel gave them a very specific command. Do not what? Don't look back. Don't look back at the city behind you. Well, Lot's wife, it says so tragically and simply in the scripture, Lot's wife, what? Looked back. And she became a, a pillar of salt right then and there. So Jesus in Luke 17 says, hey, you know what? Remember Lot's wife. I'm calling you out of this world. I don't want you to be like this world. I, this world is headed for death and destruction and judgment. I'm calling you out of what is coming. Don't be like Lot's wife. Remember and don't just think, oh yeah, that was crazy. Remember and what? And do something about it. Or Revelation 2.5, Jesus instructs the church there in Ephesus to remember from where you've fallen. Remember your first love that you've abandoned. Remember the gospel. Remember Jesus. Remember the bride of the bridegroom of the church. Remember Jesus. Remember from where you've fallen. Not just so that you can think, oh yeah, Jesus is cool, but so what? So that you can respond to that remembering. Here he says to us in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, remember your leaders, those who have guided you, those who have led you, those he defines more specifically who spoke the word of God to you. And so if you're thinking, well, who's my leader, right? It's like when Jesus was asked, well, who's my neighbor? Well, who's my leader? He answers it, the author does for us, those who spoke the word of God to you. These are the, the men and women in your lives, not just pastors, but small group leaders. These are our counselors that you've had that have guided you, that have brought the word of God to bear on your life and to impart wisdom to you in such a way to help you become more like Jesus. That they are your leaders because they are leading you. And what are they leading you with? They're leading you with God's word, which is why we remember them to do something. We remember them. We remember their counsel. We remember how they spoke the word of God to us. Why? Why remember them? Well, a large part of it is so that we'll be diligent to do what they've counseled us to do as we'll see. But first, I think we need to remember them because God, through the author of Hebrews, wants us to be grateful for these leaders that he's placed in our lives. So that's our first point tonight. It's this, be thankful for godly leaders. Be thankful for their presence in your life as you remember them. Give thanks, not necessarily to them, although that's a good thing to do, to thank your small group leader for being here. Y'all, they are not paid. Hopefully you understand that. They're here because they love you and they care about you. They, they meet up with you for coffee because they care about you. They love you. Guess what I don't get after they meet up with you for coffee? They don't submit receipts for reimbursement to me, okay? So they're doing this out of the goodness of their heart. Why? Because they care about you, because they love you, because they're investing in you. So it is a good thing for you to be thankful to them, but I think all of them in this room would also say, more importantly, you should be thankful not to them, but as we said, you know, God has arranged every part of the body as he chose. That means he's placed these leaders in your life. As you remember your leaders, y'all be thankful to God for putting them in your life. Because God has put men and women in your life who are faithful to speak the word of God to you, to call you to obedience to the scriptures, to call you out when you're out of line from the scriptures. I realize not all of you in this room have parents that taught you to drive, but those of you that did, I assume that when you went to go take the driver's test, you were grateful that mom and dad taught you the ropes and reminded you and taught you how to drive a little bit beforehand. That you remembered them with fondness because what they told you, what they taught you paid off, yes? Or maybe you were thankful for your dentist who makes sure that your teeth are healthy and in order. I hate going to the dentist, but man, I'm thankful that dentists exist. You know why? Because I've had a root canal. And so I'm thankful that, that a dentist is there to help prevent against that actually happening down the road. Maybe you're thankful for a boss who hired you and then gave you a job description and said, hey, why don't you show up uh, before your first shift and, and we'll walk you through the ropes of what you're supposed to do. We're not just going to throw you to the, the sharks out there. We're going to actually help you and equip you so that you can go do the job that you've been hired to do and do it well. 
So maybe you're thankful that that boss imparted that wisdom to you so that you could be set up for success in that. Or I just traveled the last two weeks, so this one's a little bit harder for me to be thankful for right now, but maybe you're thankful for the TSA agent that makes you take off your belt and your shoes and pull out all of your devices and put them through the, the scanner and then takes your bag and says, is this your bag? Yes, it's my bag. Okay, time for public humiliation while I open it up and go through everything inside of it. Everybody's looking at you going, I knew that guy was a terrorist. I saw him when I was waiting behind him in line. I knew. But maybe you're thankful for the TSA agent because they're there to help keep you safe. Maybe you're not thankful for them all the time. But I'm sure when your friend shows up and says, man, I just was in the dentist chair for four hours because I had a root canal, you're probably a little bit more thankful for your dentist when you realize the, the cost of not going to the dentist, aren't you? Or when you've got a, a friend who complains about their boss and their lack of communication, I'm probably going to venture a guess to say that you're thankful for your boss who's great with communication. Um, see, y'all have been given leaders by God to, to benefit you in a way that's far greater than any of those other things. Teachers with, with driver's tests or TSA agents or dentists, your, your small group leaders, your pastors, your shepherds, they have a far greater impact and they are worth far more gratitude to God than any of those other things. Why? Because what they're doing is far more important. They're speaking God's word into your life. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, the apostle Paul says this, and it's a little bit of a twist because here the leader is thankful for those that he's shepherding. And, and certainly as leaders, we need to be thankful for those that we shepherd. But think about it this way and think about it from the, the reverse perspective. And I, I want to ask you, do you thank God with every remembrance of your leader? Because Paul says in Philippians 1, 3 through 5, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you, all by, by making my prayer with joy. Because why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul is rejoicing that they are participating in the gospel ministry with him and alongside him. But he says, every time I remember you, I thank God for you. Y'all, every time you remember your leaders in the church, do you thank God for them more or do you grumble about them more? Are you spending more time praising God for the impact that they've had in your life or bemoaning the fact that they're not impacting your life the way you want them to impact your life? Notice these are, are leaders and there's a possessive pronoun there. What is it? Remember what? Your leaders. He doesn't say remember the leaders. He doesn't say remember all leaders. He says remember your leaders. I've got men in my life that I remember fondly that, that filled this role for me. One guy named Mike Forrest. He drove a, a 1972 Scout, which if you know what that is, it's the, the coolest truck on the face of the planet. And it had no interior anything, like just metal walls on the inside. Like I got in there. I did not tell my parents that I was riding around in the back of that thing because it would not have passed any safety standards. Like a bench seat, and I think he had a, a piece of twine for a seatbelt back there. He had his speakers that were magnetized, and they were just slammed up against the metal sides of the, with bare wires just running down it. Mike Forrest. I'll never forget Mike. But here's why I'll never forget, why I'll never forget Mike, not because... His truck was awesome, and I thought it was super cool to, to ride in it. But I'll never forget Mike, because when my parents got a divorce, and I was a senior in high school, and I thought I had all the answers, because I went to a Christian school, and I was in youth group, and I, I showed up all the time, and I was a good church kid. When my parents divorced, and my world crashed down around me, because that was something that happens to other people's family, not my family. And Mike was there to sit on the couch while I was in tears, and he was there to speak God's word into my life, to encourage me, and to love me, and to care about me, right? So I remember Mike, and I'm thankful to God for people like Mike. Another guy, Steve Severance. Steve Severance is a guy that served as a, a connections pastor and assimilation pastor at Placerita Baptist Church, is what it used to be called, at, at Masters University. And so my wife and I were dating, and as dating couples at Masters do, you go to church together because, you know, couples who go to church together stay together. Um, and so we decided to go to, to, to uh, Placerita. We had left Grace Community Church because John MacArthur's okay, but we were like, there's better out there. No, I'm totally, I'm totally kidding. Um, no, we left Grace Community Church, and we, we wanted to give Placerita a, a, a shot and see what it was like. So we walk in, 
And I think it was our first or second week there. And Steve Severance comes in and sits down next to us on the pew and says, hey, my name's Steve. Where are you serving? And we we're like, oh, we, we just showed up. This is like our second week here. We're still in the trial phase. We'll let you know if we're going to commit to you guys or not. No, but we said, well, this is only our second week here. He said, great. Well, tell me about yourself. So we shared a little bit. He found out that I, I played guitar and, and pretended to sing. And he was like, great. You can lead worship for our, our young marriage group. And I was like, I, uh, we're just dating. We're just dating. It's like, awesome. Come learn from, from young married in, in our church and, and get better prepared for what God might have in store for you guys in the future. And so we started serving uh, with them. And Steve and his wife were great people. And one of the couples that were, was in that church connected with that ministry ended up doing our premarital counseling. So Steve was used by the Lord. He was a leader that I remember and look back on fondly and say, man, God used him to impact my wife and I and to teach us what it looked like to really be involved in the local church. Because prior to that, we weren't really participating in the local church. We were just showing up and attending and consuming and then leaving and going home. Steve put the finger in our chest, metaphorically speaking, and said, let's get after being a part of God's bride, being a part of God's family and what that looks like. Another guy, Randy Zeller, you may recognize the last name. His son, Eric, is a missionary in Dubai and uh, one of my dear friends and, and a missionary that, that we support here at Compass Bible Church. Randy Zeller was another mentor who God used in my life as an early, brand new, new married knucklehead of a husband to help me understand what it looked like to sacrificially love my wife and to do that better than I was at the time. And he was not a pastor, he was an elder in our church, but he was a lay elder and he would come alongside me and he would meet with me and he would encourage me and he would knock me upside the head when I needed to be knocked upside the head. And that's a man, that's a, a, another leader that I think back on, I say, man, I remember him and God used him in my life, okay? So y'all, we, we have these people in our lives and the, the call is to remember your leaders, to remember your leaders and to give thanks to God for them. But let me ask you tonight, do you have your leaders? Do you have people whose spiritual care God has placed you under? Do you have people who are speaking God's truth into your life, who are praying for your spiritual well-being? Do you have your leaders, not just leaders in general? Do you have somebody who knows you in that leadership capacity? If you're struggling to come up with an answer, can I ask you another question? Are you being consistent enough to show up to these groups, to show up to this ministry, to show up to this church in order that you might have somebody who actually does know you because you're here enough? If you've got one foot in, one foot out, and you're never going to be consistent anywhere, and you go to this church sometimes, and that church sometimes, and this church down the street sometimes, and they've all got good teaching, that's all well and good, but you don't have leaders. The way that the writer of Hebrews is talking about leaders. This goes beyond listening to a sermon. If you guys listen to a podcast, your podcast pastor is not the leader that he's talking about here in Hebrews chapter 13. No, this is somebody who's your leader who can speak God's truth into your life. Maybe you are consistent enough. You're going, I can check that box. Let me ask you another question. Are you transparent enough with these groups and with your leaders so that somebody knows you well enough to be able to bring God's word to bear on your life in a meaningful and impactful way? See, some of you are at cruising altitude with church the whole time. In other words, you're flying at 30,000 feet the entire time that you're involved in your ministries here and you're never getting low enough, you're never getting real enough, you're never putting the landing gear down with people so that they can really get to know you. You're just cruising through. Y'all, if that's you, then you don't have leaders the way that he's talking about leaders here. The rest of us, if you do have these leaders and you're thinking about these people, Here's my, my thought, and, and I don't know this for sure, but I, I imagine that when we all get to heaven, that list of leaders who have impacted us, I think it's going to be way bigger than we remember right now. I think it's going to be way bigger than we remember right now. I think we're going to get to eternity and be like, oh yeah, I remember you, and I remember when you said this to me. I remember when you invested in me this way, and now I see how that impacted me. Thank you. More importantly, God, thank you for that appointment that I had. So remember your leaders and be thankful for godly leaders. 
I mentioned another reason why we remember them and is, is in order that we would do what they have called us to do. And that's really the second part of verse seven. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate them. Consider, it means to examine carefully, to inspect something. So here you're considering the outcome of their way of life. Paul uses this word to consider as he's walking through the Areopagus in Acts 17, verse 23. When he's walking through and he is looking at all of the different false gods and and statues that are set up there. He's inspecting them, considering them, and he finds the ones of the unknown God. And he lands on that one and says, let me tell you, I know this God. Let me tell you who he really is. But he's considering, he's inspecting, he's pondering all of the ones that are there. You know, we're supposed to consider the outcome of the way of life of our leaders. In other words, the finished product. We're to, to look at their life and to go, wow, that, that's what I want to be like. You guys seen the before and after pictures, right? All of your leaders have a before state, spiritually speaking. That's just as gross as the grossest before picture you've ever seen in the weight loss ads, okay? All of us, myself included. And then they've got the, the after. And the after was not put there by the, the latest keto diet. No, the after was put there by the Holy Spirit going to work on their lives to sanctify them, to make them look more like Jesus. So you guys should be looking at the after the way that some of you guys look at the Instagram models and go, I want to look like that. You should be looking at your leader saying, I want to look like that spiritually. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, consider, give thought to how they look, give thought to their life, their pattern of life right? It's their, it's the way that they live. It's their lifestyle. It's their behavior, right? Peter says this in 2 Peter 3.11. He says, since these things are thus to be dissolved, the world, that is, what sort of people should we be in lives of, there's the, the pattern of life there, in lives of what? Holiness and godliness. Or in 1 Timothy 4.12, which if you've been around our ministry since the days of the narrow or since the days of, of True North, you've heard Pastor Rod, you've heard Pastor John speak on these things, this verse about how youth are, are to what? They're to set other believers an example in conduct, right? In how they what? Live their lives. That's the concept there, the, the conduct. And so he's calling you to hold up and to examine your leaders and to consider how they live. Not just what they say, but also then how they live. And that's why to serve as a leader, and listen, I know I'm speaking to a room, not just of, of my bridge leaders in here, but I know that there's a lot of you in this room that serve it as a leader in other ministries in this church. So I'm, I'm preaching about leaders to leaders in a lot of ways. You're serving as an edge leader. You're serving as a narrow leader. You're serving as a true north leader. Is your life... Y'all, one that you would be willing to say, take a look. Look at how I'm living and strive to do what I do. Strive to, to, to be the way that I am. Can you say that? Hopefully your leaders that you have that are investing in you, again, these people that are speaking God's word into your life, Hopefully your leaders are people that you would say, yes, I look at them and I want to be like they are. I want to do what they do. Because Paul says we should imitate them. Not Paul, sorry, writer of Hebrews. Says we should imitate them. The word for imitate there in the Greek, it's a word that we get mime from. You know, the weird creepy guys with the box that's not really there. But he's miming. We should be doing that. We should be miming our leaders. We should be mimicking is another word that we get there that's a little bit less creepy. Um, Mimicking our leaders. That's what it means that that he says to imitate. Imitate what about them? 3 John 11 says we are not to imitate evil but imitate good. So we know it's, it's the good in them. But specifically he says here in the text imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. As you see their faith in action, faith is active, not passive. Faith looks like something. So as you see their faith lived out, the content of their profession, you should want to strive to imitate that. See, God has not put you under the the influence of godly leaders who are speaking his word to you just to make you smarter or more aware of shortcomings in your life. 
No, instead what he's done is he's put you under leadership in order to see that through their impact in your life, you would be made more like Jesus because you want to imitate the faith of those that lead you. That you want to be like those who lead you. Second point tonight is this. Be intentional to follow godly leaders. Be intentional to follow godly leaders. You're going to choose carefully who leads you in various areas of life. To go back to our our earlier illustration, if you have a choice between your parents teaching you how to drive or your little sister who's 12 teaching you how to drive, my guess is you're going to go with your parents. My guess is you're not going to the dentist whose picture is up on the 405 uh, off the the side of the freeway there with the fake smile that you know are veneers on, on that cat. And you're going, dude, if you can't even take care of your teeth, I'm not going to let you anywhere near my teeth. My guess is you're not going to walk in and agree to work for a guy selling trinkets out of his garage. Go, yeah, sure, why not? I'll entrust the rest of my life to you and and financial well-being to you. And my guess is you're not going to trust a TSA agent who's deaf and blind waving people through. Yeah, come on through, come on through, come on through. See, we're careful about those leaders in our lives. How much more careful should we be about spiritual leaders in our lives? Y'all, you need to surround yourself with men and women that you implicitly trust to lead you and guide you to be more like Jesus. And if you are a leader in the room, your job is to garner the trust of those that you lead and to lead them in such a way that they look at you and want to be more like Jesus because they're looking at you. Y'all, we should look at the lives of our leaders and say, I want to be like you when I grow up. Spiritually speaking, I want to be who you are. I want to think like you do. I want to conduct myself like you do. I want to behave like you do because I see Jesus in you. And I want to be like Jesus. You should have leaders in your life that you respect their wisdom and eagerly seek it out when you need counsel. When you're up against it and you need advice that you know that you can turn to these leaders and you're going to turn to those leaders because you've seen them live out a godly life and you go, okay, I know that they have a a sound relationship with the Lord. I know that they've got a close walk with Jesus. And so because they've got a close walk with Jesus, I'm going to trust what they have to say to me in this area of my life. You should be around leaders who make an impact in your life so that if you've been sitting under somebody's leadership for the last year, two years, three years, four years, you look at your life and you say, man, my, I, I am different now as a result of being under their shepherding care than I was when I first showed up. Their leadership has made me more like Jesus because I've followed their lead and they're leading me towards Jesus. Okay, well, what if you don't have that? What if you say that's not what I experienced with leaders in my life? Let me encourage you to begin with you before you point the finger at them. Let me ask you this. Are you really making yourself available to their influence? Are you expecting a GT1 kind of thing to happen, a miracle of first priority to happen just by osmosis? Are you expecting to be more godly just because you show up to small group and occasionally throw out a small group prayer request? Or are you really leaning into those leaders, opening up, allowing them to get to know you, pursuing them, getting to know them? That'd be the first thing that I would ask you if you say, well, I don't have that kind of a leader in my life. The second thing I would ask you, are you showing up and committing? It, it builds on that. It goes back to that first point that we talked about. Are you consistent enough to have leaders? Y'all, if you are inconsistent, you will get out of your, your, your small group what you put into your small group. You will get out of your relationship with your leaders what you invest in your relationship with your leaders. And leaders, let me speak to you in the room. You will get out of your small group ministry here what you invest in your small group ministry. Another question to ask if you say, well, I don't know that I have leaders like this is let me ask you this. Are you jaded towards your leaders? 
Are you harboring a, a resentful spirit towards them? Maybe they called you out and you were mad about it. They, they confronted you with God's word. And your feelings have been hurt and you're upset and so you've written them off. Or maybe they, they counseled you to do something that you don't want to do. And because in your flesh you disagree with what God's word is calling you to do, you now have blamed your leader and you don't want anything to do with your leader. Or maybe they've counseled you not to do something that you do want to do. And you're jaded toward them. If not, if there's a real problem with your leaders, let me encourage you, be adults and, and go and sit down and talk respectfully with them. Talk to them. Second, I would say be humble and, and still learn from them. 1 Corinthians 13, one of the things that Paul says there that I keep coming back to in my own life and keep coming back to in counseling situations and I think is so important is this, that love believes all things means love is going to believe the best about another follower of Jesus, especially one that has been entrusted in a leadership position within the church. You're going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say, okay, maybe they didn't lead me exactly the right way in this situation because here's a, a newsflash for all y'all. Hey, your leaders are sinners and so are your pastors. And if your hope is in us, we're going to let you down and we will fail you. And so there will be times that your leader disappoints you, that your pastor disappoints you, that your pastor doesn't do what he should do necessarily. But love that believes all things is going to say, okay, I'm going to move on and continue to try to submit and learn from these people. Uh, the other thing that I would encourage you to do if maybe you've had a difficult leader is, is to trust that God has intentionally put you under their care. Again, 1 Corinthians 12, 18. God has arranged the members of the body as he chose. So your assignment to a particular small group is not an accident. But you're there because God wants you there. Not to be the savior of the group, but because he might be working on something in your life that needs work. And it might be patience. It might be humility. And then finally, I would say if, if you're struggling with your leaders, let me just encourage you this. Only move on if there are real solid grounds for doing so. You say, well, what are those grounds? What would that be? Well, let me tell you what it's not first, and then I'll tell you what it might be. It, it, number one, it's, it's not personality differences. I can't tell you how many times people have come up and said, I just don't connect. I don't click with my leader. okay. I'm not mom and dad, so I'm not here to try to make your life easy and palatable. And hopefully your parents aren't there to make your life easy and palatable either. But you're going to be in situations where you don't necessarily click with a leader. Cry your river, build your bridge, and get over it. And realize that God's spirit can work in and through their leadership in your life, whether or not you jive with them personally or not. It's not about personality differences. Second, it's not about preferential issues. Well, my leader doesn't lead the group the way that I would like them to lead the group. Okay. Well, she does prayer requests first, and we don't get to the questions until the end. Okay. Well, I called her at 11.35 p.m. last night, and she didn't answer the phone. Okay. It's, it's not preferential issues, guys. Okay? So what would it be? Here's what it is. It's going to be clear doctrinal theological breaks. Clear doctrinal theological breaks. That's, that's the nail in the coffin. I mean, if you came to me and were like, I need to switch small groups because my leader told me that Jesus didn't actually die on the cross. He just fainted. Okay, we'll get you in another group. And who else? Who's your leader, by the way? Because we need to find a relocation program for them too. Either into the body of Christ or to an, a cult somewhere. Um, yeah. So, Pastor BJ, you're telling me I'm stuck with my leader forever? Maybe. Maybe I am. No, but I think we're all too quick to pull the ripcord. 
way too fast. And sometimes we just need to be patient and, and learn to work through it. Why? Again, because 1 Corinthians 12, 18, God put you there and God put them there for his purposes. But let me just challenge you on this front, as the, the author is calling us to do, to, to, to remember our leaders and to obey them and to, to imitate their lives. Let me just challenge you, find one or two, right? You're not going to be able to do any more than that. Godly men or women, men follow, find men, women find women, and, and invest in those relationships. Find those guys that you look at and you go, I want to be like that guy when I grow up, spiritually speaking, and lean into that relationship. Be the Timothy to the Paul. Find the person and leaders, be the person that Paul writes, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, when he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Man, that's a statement. But man, we should all be living that kind of a life. And that's the type of leader you want to find and follow. Somebody that could tell you, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Be intentional to follow godly leaders. A lot of ungodly leaders out there that are easy to find and follow. Don't follow them. Intentionally seek out godly leaders. Building off this concept of, of following godly leaders is obedience to them. And now he shifts his focus less to the small group leader capacity and more to the pastoral capacity. So turn over to verse 17, where the writer says this Obey your leaders. Obey them and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Obey. Every time we read the word obey in scripture, when it has to do with a person and not God, it's kind of like, ooh, that makes me feel uncomfortable. But the writer saying we need to obey our spiritual leaders. The word for obey here, the, the, the idea is to obey after being persuaded that something is, is true. You've placed yourself under the, the, the leadership of the pastors in your church because hopefully you've been persuaded that they are preaching a biblically sound doctrine from the pulpit. And so the author says, then obey them. Galatians 5, 7, Paul says, who has hindered you from obeying? Who has slowed you down? Who has stopped you from obeying? James chapter 3, verse 3 uses this word for obedience and compares it to a bit in a horse's mouth. That when you pull on the reins, the bit that, that tugs on the mouth causes the horse to move and then to obey. And the author here is saying that we need to obey our leaders and then we need to submit to them. We need to yield to their leadership and yield to their direction. We need to give way to their counsel and their preaching in our lives. Again, this is primarily directed to the pastors. You say, well, how do you know? Well, because of what he says there. They are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. This is one of the most terrifying reasons not to go into pastoral ministry. Because your pastors have a flock and your pastors at the end of the, the, their lives are going to have to give an account for how they shepherded, how they spiritually led the sheep that were in their care. For they are keeping watch. It's the idea of, of shepherding. But it's, it's keeping watch to the point of sleeplessness is what this is, is talking about. Ephesians 6.18, Paul says that we are to keep alert with all perseverance. It's the same word. Keeping watch over their souls. Keep alert with all perseverance. In Matthew 13.33, Jesus uses this, that, that we need to stay awake and watch for his return. Don't drift. Don't sleep. And so the, the writer is saying, you need to obey your pastors because they are keeping watch. They are on the watchtower. They are on guard. They are staying up. They are keeping awake spiritually to make sure that you are okay. And that that's their job. And if they do it well, then they're worthy of you to follow them and obey them. Why? Because they're hot stuff? No, because they're keeping watch over you. Because it's of your best interest to do this. They're keeping watch, what? Over your souls. Again, the, the shepherding imagery is replete when it is addressing leaders. Some of the, the charges to, to pastors, 1 Peter chapter 5. Paul says, so I, or Peter, rather, he didn't write 1 Peter, Paul did. Peter actually wrote 1 Peter, not Paul. It would have been 1 Paul, which would have been weird because Paul wrote a lot of other things too. There would have been like 16 Pauls. 1 Peter says this, so I exhort the elders among you 
as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a, a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. He says this, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, not not like someone is forcing you to do this against your will, but he says, but willingly, as God would have you, and not for shameful gain. Don't do this just to, to, because it's a career that pays the bills. Not for shameful gain. He says, but, but instead eagerly, because you want to, because you desire, because your passion is there. And then he says, not domineering over those in your charge. Don't lord it over them that, that you've got some spiritual authority over them and power over them. Don't be domineering over those in your charge, but be an example to the flock. This is the charge that your pastors have to answer to. They're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. To give an account, in other words, to, the, the, the idea behind that word to give an account is is actually to settle accounts. That when Jesus comes back, you remember the parable of the, the talents when he calls the, the servants to him and he says, hey, I, I gave you uh, 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 10 talents. What did you do with them? He says, well, I, I made 10 more. The five, I give you five. What'd you do with it? I, I made five more. He's settling accounts with his stewards. We all, your pastors are gonna appear before Jesus, the chief shepherd. And as his under shepherd, Jesus is going to look at us and say, I gave you this flock. What'd you do with it? We're going to have to give an account, a description of events, of how we shepherded. And so considering that that's what your pastors are going to face and what your pastors are tasked with doing, our author wants us, as we think about our pastors, to be submitting to them and obeying them because that's in the best interest of us as part of their flock. Third point, final point tonight, be humble in obeying godly leaders. Be humble in obeying godly leaders. Yo, when your parents told you to hit the brake when you were a 14-year-old trying to learn how to drive, I'm betting you hit the brake. Or when your dentist has the drill in his hand and says, hold still, and you hear that as it's going into your mouth, my guess is you're holding still. Or when your boss told you to be in the office by 8.30 on that first day, my guess is you showed up at 8.23 on that first day. Why did he choose 8.23? That's such a random number. I don't know. It's the first one that popped in my mind. And the reason you did that is because you know that they all had the best interests in mind for you. Your parents told you to hit the brake because they didn't want you to rear-end the car in front of you. That would have been bad for you, bad for them, bad for insurance, bad for everybody. The dentist says, hey, hold still because I've got this drill in my hand because he doesn't want to slip and leave you with uh, bleeding gums, just gushing blood everywhere in the dentist's office. I've had horrible experiences at dentist offices. Your boss told you to show up at 8.30 because they know that there's work to be done. And if you don't show up at 8.30, you're not going to be able to get the work done that needs to be done. And so you obey because you trust that they have the best interest in heart. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you still have that level of trust for your pastors that the Lord has placed in positions of leadership over you, that they have your best spiritual interest at heart? Y'all, do you recognize that a pastor who's faithful to preach the Bible? Listen, I have zero authority over you with my wisdom. Nothing. My authority comes from here. It's the word of God that contains the power and the authority. So do you recognize that when your pastor stand up and, and faithfully preach the Bible to you, it's, it's not the authority of the man, it's the authority of the, the God of the man that is at work. And so when we call on you to obey, it's not, hey, obey Pastor PJ, obey Pastor Mike, obey Pastor Lucas. He might beat you up if you don't, but obey. <laughs> it's not that, Right? What are we calling you to do? We're calling you and uh, y'all, when we prepare a sermon, guess who the first audience of the sermon that we prepare is? It's us. We're calling on us to what? Obey God. That's the, the call. And so when a pastor warns you, let me ask you, do you take it seriously? Understanding that he's warning you because he wants you to make course adjustments to your life so that 
you don't drift so that you don't fall into to, to ungodliness. When a pastor pleads with you, do you believe that in the sincerity of his heart, he has your best interest, he has your Christ-likeness in mind? When a pastor steps on your toes, do you trust that he isn't grinding an ax or preaching an agenda, but that conviction that you feel is actually the Holy Spirit at work in your life, applying not his words, but the, the word of God? Obey them, submit to them as those who are keeping watch over your souls who will have to one day give an account. Second half of verse 17 says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The Bible has a ton of instructions for, for elders and for pastors. There's not a, a lot out there for the, the flock of God. We're, we're, we're really kind of in the, the wheelhouse of the instructions to the church on how they should relate to pastors. This is one of the, the, the key instructions given here. Let them lead with joy and not with groaning. And you know, I've experienced both. Been in ministry for 16 years, 17 years. And there's people that have made the job of shepherding a joy and people that have made the job of shepherding a, an exercise in, in sighing and groaning. Again, the pastor needs to shepherd well. And there's plenty of that that we need to focus on as pastors. But you know, our job, my job, because you know, guess who my pastor is? Pastor Mike is my pastor. So this is speaking to me, saying I need to make his job a joy. What does that look like? Well, let me suggest some things that it doesn't look like. First, it doesn't look like being hypercritical of your pastors. It is easy to snipe. It is very easy to snipe. So it's not being hypercritical. It's not being overly cynical. Right? Love believes all things. That extends to pastors as well. Not being overly cynical. It's not being openly rebellious against your pastors. It's not being withdrawn and isolated and shut off to your pastors. Those are things that make our job a, a burden. It's what causes us groaning. That's what causes us to take that home with us and causes our wives to go, what's wrong? But instead, we need to have that type of obedient submission to our pastors that makes their job a joy. And he says that that's the advantage, not just to the pastor, but to the flock as well. Because honestly, all you want pastors showing up every single day excited to be where they're at that's going to make them far more effective and fruitful in their ministry than if they're getting out of bed each morning going, oh, I've got to go back there again. And by and large, this church does an awesome job of letting her pastor serve with joy. It's a great place to be. You guys do a great job. So this is just kind of a, a check-in to say, hey, let's keep going. Let's excel still more in this area. I talked about leaders, but what if you don't trust your pastors? Well, again, the first thing I'm going to suggest is start with you and not your pastors. When should you leave? Well, if there are moral issues at hand, in other words, if you believe that there's immorality at, present in a pastor's life, then yes, it's probably grounds to leave the church, but not before you sit down with another pastor and say, hey, I'm concerned because there's sin in this pastor's life over here, Right? Be careful with that, though, because the Bible calls us not to admit a charge against a pastor or an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So if there are moral failures, yeah, you might leave at that point. If there are failures doctrinally or theologically, if you're going to the church where the leader's serving that doesn't believe that Jesus died on the cross and the pastor's like, yep, that's true, leave. Make like a tree and leaf. Get out of there. Those are reasons to leave. Here's the deal, y'all. If you just don't though, like the personality or the style of the pastor, maybe lean in and focus on what the Lord might be doing in your life and in your heart in spite of those hurdles. Those aren't reasons to leave. If the word of God is being preached and preached faithfully and you wish, whatever, that they 
that had timpani drums on the stage. And they don't. You're like, I'm going to leave. Don't leave. If you don't like the, the clothes the pastor wears. I feel like he wears that flannel shirt every single week. I wish he would stop and just get a different one. Don't leave. There are a few reasons to leave a biblically sound church where the word of God is being taught faithfully. Be thankful for those pastors. Want to follow the lives that they're modeling. Obey, submit to them. Like I said, Pastor Mike's my pastor. So this passage is relevant to every single one of us in this room. There are none of us in this room that don't have some leaders in their lives that God has placed there. And so we should be thankful for those leaders. Because it's not an accident that you're here. It's not an accident that you're a part of this church. It's not an accident that, that you showed up here tonight. It's because God has arranged the members of the body as he chose. So your leaders are your leaders because God has sovereignly placed them in your life. It's, it's time to start leaning into that and going, okay, God, why did you put me here? For some of you, it may be more evident than others. Some of you need to do the hard work to, to do some spade work to go, okay, let's dig into this group because God has put me in this group. What do you want to teach me, Lord? Let's go for it. But yeah, we should be thankful, we should be learning, we should be imitating, we should be obeying, we should be submitting because that's what God has called us to do. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for the leaders in our lives, the, the people that have impacted us. I'm mindful in Hebrews chapter 13 that he has just recently in the book spent time talking about the hall of faith in all of the great saints in the Old Testament, the leaders in the Old Testament who were so faithful to proclaim the word of God and to do so with, with, with accuracy and integrity and to live godly lives such that there's an entire chapter in the Bible devoted to them saying, this is what faith looks like. Be like them. And Lord, we have the New Testament as well to, to look at the lives of Paul and Peter and James and others and say, we want to be like them. And we've got leaders who have been in our lives for, for years in the past that we can look back at now and say, I'm thankful for that man. I'm thankful for that woman. And yeah, I want to be more like them because they were like Jesus. So God, we are thankful for those men and women. And we know that if you should tarry and wait to come back and we should be here and you should continue to let us be here, that we'll have leaders in the future. And I just pray that we would be grateful and that we would be uh, submissive and obedient because you are working through them because you have sovereignly put them in our path, in us, in theirs. And we pray all of this thankful in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.